Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. I'm not sure you could classify us as brand new covenant partners, but we're pretty pretty new, maybe a month or two into it, um, and are, are very, very happy to be here with you this morning. I wanted to, to take a couple of minutes to chat with you about that decision um, and what brought us to uh, Emmaus and and why we thought that this is needs to be our church home. Um, you know, it, it kind of falls into a couple of categories, kind of soft stuff and a little more firmer stuff on the soft stuff side. Uh, you go and you come into a church and then you get embraced like we have, and that's a tremendous feeling. Um, we felt that from the start. Um, we uh, we were constantly approached by people wanting to know our boring backstory, and um, and then there was this feeling that they're they're um, enthusiastically interested in our boring backstory, whether that was genuine or not. I I'm, but it was it was a very good, wonderful feeling. Spending time with Pastor Andy and Amy uh, was was wonderful. Um, it's their guidance and um, what they bring to this church is is tremendous. That felt very good also. Um, then also, you know, we will, we will, we will be serving this church. And one of the things that I look at as, as I'm, I'm thinking about a church and its role in the world is also how the church serves the people that are in there. Oftentimes that's neglected. The church is all about serving those in need outside of it. I feel a, a strong feeling that this church really, really supports its congregation, and that's very important. Um, going outside the world, that was very appealing to me also. I'm, a, I'm an engineer, um, and um, a lot of the causes, the, uh, the Advent uh, conspiracy cause where the water is brought into uh, um, uh, African communities that, that don't have good, reliable water, that, of course, has a very strong appeal to me. Um, kind of more also on the firm side of things. Um, I, as an engineer, um, I work a lot with existing deteriorating infrastructure. That's been a theme of my life. And I, this is a wonderful, beautiful church, but it's a project. And it's a project that I look forward to helping with uh, in the future. And I've always run towards those projects, and, and that didn't hurt things at all. Um, I do love the building and, and look forward to, to working with it. Um, so that, that's pretty much our story. I, I want to uh, point out also while I'm up here a, um, uh, a flyer in your bulletin, this one right here. And, th- and this is past, Pastor Appreciation Month this month. So I want to draw your attention to the uh, Welcome Center where there is a display with... Um, Setups for gift cards and a place where you could put messages if you want to in the various um, bags for all the various staff and and the pastor staff also for the church. So make sure that you make your way out there and, and do that. Um, I want to draw your attention now to the book of uh, Hosea again, and this we're now in chapter ten. So starting with verse one. <clears throat> 
Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself, and his fruit increased. He built more altars as his land prospered. He adorned his sacred stones. Their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king because we have not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises, take false oaths, and make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds and a plowed field. The people who live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth Aven. Its people will mourn over it, and so will its adulterous priests. Those who rejoice over its splendor because it is taken from them into exile. All right, thank you, Ken, and good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? All right, it's great to see all of you. We are so glad that you're here and have joined us this morning. If this is your very first time here, we especially want to say welcome to you. If you'll do us just a couple of favors while you're here, the first thing that we hope that you'll do is uh, grab a bulletin, and on the inside of that is your connection card. Uh, Take a moment during the message to fill that out and uh, drop it in the offering plate as it comes by after this morning's message. That gives us a record of you being here. Uh, The second thing that we hope you'll do is stop by one of our information centers located on the side of our sanctuary here or in the back in our foyer, and uh, if you'll stop by there, you'll see that we have a free gift for you, which is this book. It's just our way of saying thanks so much uh, for being here today and joining us. Uh, It's an easy read, and we hope that it'll be a blessing to you. And again, that's our gift to you. Uh, I want to share just uh, one announcement with you, and uh, there are lots of things going on that you'll want to pay attention to in your bulletin. But what I want to mention is that uh, on October 16th, just a couple of weeks from today, uh, we'll be gathering together in the afternoon for uh, some pumpkin picking and also a soup supper. Uh, It's a great time and great opportunity for you to get to know other folks here at the church. And uh, one of the things that we try to do when we think about programming uh, is we try to give you opportunities to uh, connect with other people in community. There's no way that we can uh, kind of force you into community, but we can provide opportunities for you uh, to get to know other people. And this is one of those great opportunities that we hope that you'll take advantage of uh, to uh, build relationships, maybe get to know someone brand new. Uh, All the details are outlined there in your bulletin uh, or also on our website, but we We hope that you'll pay attention to that and uh, join us for that day. Um, Well, we are in the uh, series through the book of Hosea. Um, and I have a confession to make when I was planning the, the series. Um, originally, this was supposed to be like a, a 13 or 14 week series through Hosea. Uh, but uh, you can uh, thank me later. I decided not to do that. Uh, and so instead of doing a detailed walk through Hosea, we're just kind of doing a, a high flyover. And so we've kind of been looking at main sections of Hosea. And we are now in the fourth week. But I thought it would be appropriate just to real quickly uh, do a very quick flyover of where we've been so far. Uh, And that is in week one, which is chapters one through three, we were reminded of the the famous narrative of Hosea. 
where we learned about his life and his story of Hosea, who was called to marry Gomer, uh, how his life embodies the message of God's unrelenting love and unwavering faithfulness. And this is, in fact, the, the, two, the two key themes that we've really honed in on uh, as, during this series is God's unrelenting love and his unwavering faithfulness. Uh, then in the second week, uh, Rick uh, was our speaker and did a great job. Uh, he showed us that we, just like Israel, can really look for life in all of the wrong places. Uh, and we really need to learn that true life is found only in Christ. Uh, true life is found in God and God alone. And then last week, what we looked at is we, we were challenged uh, to place our hope in Christ and his kingdom alone. Uh, and in fact, last week, we took an opportunity just to get some, uh, some perspective politically during as, as we kind of walk into November and uh, election day coming up. Of course, uh, I don't ever uh, promote any kind of uh, candidate from the pulpit. I don't tell us how to vote, but, but rather I just wanted to provide some perspective. And, and what we learned last week is that uh, we were challenged to place our hope in Christ and his kingdom not in any particular candidate or political party. Because what Jesus does is uh, he offers us a completely different kind of politic. Uh, it's an error to say that Jesus' uh, message wasn't political. It was actually highly political in his time, which is in fact why he was killed. He was claiming uh, that in fact he is Lord and not Caesar. That's a distinctly political claim. Uh, but what that means for us today and as the church is that uh, our hope needs to be placed in Christ and his kingdom. Uh, that our perspective uh, needs to be uh, more formulated not by typical uh, party lines but by the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so I was just challenging us to that as we enter into uh, this political season and as we've been in this political season uh, to really make sure that our hope is not in any particular legislation or party or candidate uh, but our hope is in Christ and that our allegiance belongs to his kingdom and that our, our lifestyle is modeled after the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus. And so now as we dive into Hosea chapter 10, uh, I would just invite us uh, to pray together and ask for God's uh, wisdom. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity this morning to gather together, to offer up our praise and our worship to you through song, uh, to gather around the Lord's table in a few moments, uh, to, to pray together, to hear your word, uh, recognizing God that all of these give us an, a, an opportunity to express our, our gratitude and our love and our worship to you, but, but also recognizing God that we are formed and we are shaped as a result of gathering together today. And so we just pray, God, that you would be with us and that your Holy Spirit would be freely at work to form us and shape us and to speak to our hearts. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this morning is I want to walk through this, uh, this passage of Scripture. Uh, in particular, I want to, want to really walk through the first four verses. Uh, and then I want to lead us uh, into what I really want to say this morning, a, a primary point. It's a, it's a one-point uh, message, but we're going to do some walking in order to get there. Um, the, the verse 1 of chapter 10 begins, Israel was a spreading vine and he, had, uh, he brought forth fruit for himself. And as the fruit increased and as the land prospered, he adorned, he adorned it with sacred stones. Uh, 
what the prophet is doing, and, and I want to remind you again that uh, ch- the first three chapters of Hosea are the narrative of his life and the primary message of the prophet, God's unrelenting love and his unwavering faithfulness. The rest of the book, and the reason that the rest of the book is often ignored, is these are oracles that the prophet would have been speaking that play, are placed inside of that overall narrative of his life. And so again, this is a, a message that is fitting into those two primary themes. And he's once again pointing out the, uh, the, the unfaithfulness of Israel. And he has to do this in order to uh, make the faithfulness of God shine all the brighter. Uh, just like when we go through seasons of Lent where we recognize our own need for the Savior and our own sinfulness is so that we can properly celebrate uh, the season of resurrection and Easter. The prophet is doing something similar where he's saying he's pointing out and making the nation of Israel very aware of their sin and their own unfaithfulness in order to shine a brighter light on the faithfulness of God. And so what he does now is he speaks of, uh, the prophet speaks of Israel's abundance when when things were going really well. And he refers to that time in Israel's life as as a vine that had been planted by God that grew and then bore fruit under God's care. Now this is likely a reference to the days of abundance under the reign of King Jeroboam II. King Jeroboam II was uh, an all-star king. He was faithful to God. Israel experienced uh, great days of of prosperity and blessing during his reign. Uh, This is very firmly what Israel would have referred to as the good old days, right? Uh, So anytime that the nation of Israel was referring to the good old days, they were likely referring to the reign of King Jeroboam II. And what happened is in their season of abundance, they, they began to build more and more altars, which sounds like a really good thing, right? Uh, as God was blessing them, they built more and more altars. But what the prophet wants to point out now is that the altars that were built under the prosperity and blessing of God and the reign of King Jeroboam II are now being used to worship the false god Baal or Baal. And so these altars that were built under the prosperity of one king who was faithful and led the nation into faithfulness, those very same altars are now being used uh, to worship a false god. And, And the prophet wants to point that out. Hosea points that out in their life just simply as another example of their unfaithfulness before God. In fact, uh, earlier in his oracles, the prophet uh, had this to say. This is found in Hosea chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Though Ephraim, Ephraim is another name for Israel, though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, sin offerings were a good thing, they were uh, declared by God and ordained by God. And he says this, Though uh, Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, they have now become altars of sinning. And so he's, again, just pointing out the very same things. These objects of worship have now been, have now been corrupted, have been, have been changed, uh, so that they are now being used to worship a false god. And then verse 2 says, Their hearts then are deceitful, uh, and, and they must now bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Uh, this verse reveals that the hearts uh, of the worshipers were in fact deceitful. And it describes God's response to their unfaithfulness. They have rejected him as king. They have used their altars to worship a false god. And so God is going to respond by destroying their altars. Uh, 
Now you might wonder how this, how this fits into the, uh, the unrelenting love and the unwavering faithfulness of God that God would respond this way. And I, I simply want to point out that God does not declare that he is going to destroy them. He only says that he is going to destroy the, the altars. He's going to, to take away or remove the objects of false worship. And this is in fact the response of God. Well then, in light of that, the people... The people of Israel respond then by crying out. And they say that we have no king because we did not revere God as king. And in that statement, you sort of see a hint of, of, of repentance. Just this first hint that things might be, begin to shift for the nation of Israel. They said we have, not re- we have no king because we have not revered, revered God as king. And in fact, that's what God is wanting them to recognize all along. That you may have a human king or not, but I am your true king, right? And we took that uh, last week and applied it into our current context to say our allegiance belongs only to God. But again, you, you sort of, you see this this first hint of repentance in them and it's a really good reminder for us that if God isn't our king then in actuality whoever or whatever we put in that place is no king at all in our life and I, and I just want us to, to kind of allow that to sink in I want that to sit with us a little bit uh, that that whatever we have placed in the in the Whatever we have put in the place of God in our life, we may call it king. We may serve it as king. We may recognize it as king. But if that thing is not God and God himself, then in fact we have no king at all. And it is just an idol. It is in fact a false king. But then, just when we get a hint of repentance... Just when we get a hint that, they, that they're, they're beginning to catch on, their words again delve further into the depths of unfaithfulness. And they declare this, that even if we had a king, what could he do for us? Even if we had a king, what could he do for us? You know, I would imagine that um, any number of us, or maybe all of us, at one point have been in a place in our lives where we have maybe asked the very same question. Uh, That we have done our best to rely on God as king, but through circumstances, through difficulty, through challenge, through pain and suffering, whatever led us to the point, I I would be willing to bet that many of us have come to a place in our life where we have said, you know what, Even even if I did have a king, what could he do for me? And what's interesting often about the prophets or about the Psalms is they often raise questions that, that sometimes they don't even resolve. And we find that here in this passage, that this, this question just sort of hangs there. And I wonder if I could just use that as an illustration for us today, that, that if you're in that place, that man, if I had a king, and if my king is in fact God, then, then what can he do for me? If, if, if you're in that place, what God is calling us to, and what God is drawing us into, is relationship with him. More than having all of the answers. 
And I think that a lot of times we're, we're seeking answers uh, and what God is doing is he's just trying to get us to rely on relationship. And so even in the moments where we're disappointed with God, even in the moments when we may be angry with God, even in the moments when we feel like God is absent or abandoned or has abandoned us, what is so important in those moments is to maintain that level of honesty with God. Because for as long as you are angry with God or disappointed with God, you are in relationship with God. And that's what he wants. And so God can hang, handle your anger. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your frustration. And so Israel cries out, even if we had a king, then what could he do for us? And then verse 4. This is really the verse that I want to key in on and for our understanding of this passage and what's going on in this oracle. In fact, I want to read the verse again. Verse 4 says this. Now they make many promises. They take false oaths and they make agreements. And therefore lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Now, of course, they uh, refers to Israel as a nation or as a people, just as uh, any, any co- sort of corporate uh, they has, has been referred to. It's referring to the people of Israel. And so I just want to remind us and be clear that, uh, that when I say Israel, I'm not talking about a location as much as I am a community or, or a people, a nation of people. And what the prophet says is they make promises. They take false oaths and they make agreements. Now, a more literal translation of the Hebrew would read this. Uh, A more literal literal translation would read, Speak words, swear falsely, and make covenants. Now, the prophet is is doing this in order to refer back to their empty words. He's trying to make a point that their word is of no value. Now, this will be interesting next week because we'll learn that Uh, After all of their unfaithfulness, the only thing they have to offer God is actually their words and their words of of praise and their words of commitment to him. And so it's interesting what the prophet is doing here. Uh, But he's he's pointing out, again, their unfaithfulness. They They have led a life of false oaths, faithless loyalty, and empty words. And so then the prophet says, well, therefore or as a result of, or in light of all of this, in light of all of these false oaths, in light of all this, uh, this faithless loyalty, in light of all of these empty words, uh, therefore uh, lawsuits have sprung up among you like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Now, the Hebrew word here that is translated lawsuits in the NIV uh, is up for debate as to what it really means. Uh, the Hebrew word is, is mishpat. That's a pretty fun word to say. Um, whenever you get into Greek and Hebrew, you just have a lot of fun in trying to transliterate them into English. But, uh, so the Hebrew word here uh, is, is mishpat. Now the NIV, as I've already said, translates lawsuits. Uh, and that, that's certainly a fair translation. Uh, it, it would mean essentially that Israel has been unfaithful to God, uh, but they were also unfaithful to one another. They were making false oaths in their commitments to God, but they were also making commitments among themselves and then, and then not holding them up. Um, and, and of course, as a result of, of taking false oaths in God's name uh, among other people, then what was happening is that it was leading to, to lawsuits among them. Uh, the translation that we had on the screen said litigation. 
You know, I mean, it's, so it's like there's, there's division uh, in, in their community. They're, they're coming against one another with lawsuits because of all of these false oaths. And, and one could very easily say that, that man, when there's a community uh, of people that are bringing lawsuits against one another, there's such division that they're bringing lawsuits, uh, then certainly that is like poisonous weeds uh, that are springing up in a field that has been plowed. But there's another possible translation for this that I think is far more compelling. Uh, another possible translation, and in my opinion, a better one for mishpat, is the English word justice. And if you translate it that way, then it, then it changes the meaning of the passage significantly. And in fact, it, it impacts how we would understand it even for our own lives. And so I want to read it with the literal translation uh, and, and then using justice for the Hebrew word mishpat, it would read like this. They speak words, swear falsely, and make covenants. Therefore, justice springs up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Now, what could that possibly mean? Is that saying that justice is in fact the weed? Or does it mean rather that justice is being perceived as the weed? And as the poisonous weed. You see, when we read it and understand it this way, the result of their unfaithfulness, the result of the false oaths that they were giving both to God and to one another, and, and the result of their worshiping of false gods is that justice seems like, or looks like, or appears as though it is a poisonous weed that is infesting a plowed field. And that is a very, very compelling message from the prophet to the nation of Israel. That, that your actions in worshiping of false gods have made it to, have led to this idea that justice seems like a weed to you. Now that, that raises a very compelling question, which is this, what is justice? What is justice? In fact, I mentioned in the sermon last week uh, that, that our hope is, in fact, that one day God's justice will rule the land. And I mentioned that, that I just said very much in passing that, that we need to realize that God's justice doesn't always look like our justice. Because our justice and the justice portrayed in the superhero movies that we love so much, right? I mean, I'm wondering what the saturation point is in our culture for superheroes. We have not reached it yet. Uh, because every superhero movie just continues to make millions and millions of dollars. Every superhero TV show continues to be very, very popular. Uh, the CW has built an entire network of, of, network of uh, superhero shows. The Arrow, Supergirl, The Flash, and all the others that I can't even name because I'm not that much of a comic book prowess, right? So, uh, but this justice and the justice portrayed in superhero movies that we love so much is... is Let's just be honest. It is violent retribution. Justice is violent retribution in the eyes of, of culture and in the eyes of these storylines. In these storylines, justice is served when the one who has done us wrong is killed. And so justice is, justice is understood as killing those who have killed others. And our culture actually recognizes this tension with this view of justice because a common thread, a common storyline thread in all of these shows about justice or superhero movies uh, is in fact wrestling with how is the vigilante in any 
any different than the villain if all they're doing is killing the villain. If the villain goes around killing those whom it deems appropriate, and then the vigilante comes and kills the villain, a common theme is how do we wrestle with the tension behind the the vigilante is actually doing the same kinds of things that the one he is trying to stop. And so even this view of justice uh, and the tension with it is recognized in our culture based, in, based on what we build into these storylines. And the way that most shows or movies resolve this tension is to show that the superhero has proper motivations. He is, in fact, the good guy. But I just want to help us to, to think about and to expand our imaginations and, and to maybe recognize that God's justice is different than all of that. In fact, we've talked about it last week that when we think about the hope of God's justice ruling the earth, what do we mean? And here's how I want you to think about God's justice. I want you to think about God's justice as the proper ordering of life. God's justice is the proper ordering of life. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. And that umbrella is pretty big. But God's justice, I can say, uh, with certainty on 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 the authority of the word of God, is not about retribution. God's justice is not about vengeance. But rather about proper ordering and restoration. And so the prophet Hosea says that because Israel had been worshiping false gods and giving false testimony, then their view of justice had become so distorted that God's justice appeared to them like weeds in a field. But it isn't just weeds, right? Uh, it's, it's poisonous weeds in a field that has been plowed. <laughs> You can see that the prophet is actually layering his language in order to, in order to bring extra weight to the point that he's trying to make. Uh, that it isn't that their view of justice had been distorted uh, so that justice looked like a weed. It was justice looks like a poisonous weed that's growing in a field that has already been plowed. And I believe that in our culture, in our own brokenness, in our own Um, in our own way of seeing the world, and by that I mean the the Apostle Paul talks about how the way in which we see the world is is veiled, that we don't uh, see or understand everything fully. And I believe that sort of in our our veiled perspective or in our veiled eyes, uh, we can begin to see that what is right and good and proper can sometimes be distorted so much that when we see it, And when we see what is actually good and right and proper, we resist it. And so what I want to do this morning is is just simply raise an important question. And the question is this, are there ways in which we resist God's justice in the world? Are are there ways in which God's justice is, is put on display And we find ourselves resisting it. I wonder if there's ever been a situation in your life where forgiveness was offered and and you resisted that because 
That person deserves something more than forgiveness. I wonder if there's ever a time when uh, there's been reconciliation and, and, and that just kind of crossed you the wrong way because, well, because he deserves something worse than that. They deserved it. And if that's ever the case, then, then I wonder if that just is an opportunity for us to, to pray, oh God, would you clarify my vision? Would you give me perspective to see the world through the eyes of your justice? And can I recognize out loud just how incredibly difficult this is in a broken world, right? I mean, our world is so messy and it's just, it's very, very easy from a pulpit to talk about lines as though they appear black and white because we live in a world of gray and all varying shades of gray. And so I just simply want to recognize the difficulty and the level of discernment and the expansion of our imaginations that it may require to ask these difficult questions. But I want us to come to a point where we can begin to see more and more clearly and not have our views of God's justice or God's character or or anything else distorted, but rather that God would give us clear vision to see the world through his eyes of love. You know, when I first got this pair of glasses uh, in a commercial for Warby Parker, I, I love these pair of glasses, uh, but at first they didn't get it right. Um, when I first got these, this pair of glasses, I, I put them on, uh, and there was something wrong with the lenses so that anything in my peripheral was, was distorted, uh, which meant that a room with straight walls, and you would hope that most rooms you walk into have straight walls, um, rooms with straight walls actually looked uh, distorted. They looked curved and blurry. And so it, it looked like I was literally living in a fishbowl. Um, just everywhere I went, everywhere I looked, I just felt like I was a, a fish swimming in a, in a trapped cage uh, in a fishbowl. And so rooms with straight walls looked like uh, curved and blurry on the edges. It was very, very disorienting because there was no clarity. And, and actually, when I was out in the world, I actually couldn't tell. You know, if you walk into a room, you assume that the walls are straight and that you're not actually in a fishbowl. When you go outside, it's not, uh, everything isn't uh, so easily distinguished. And so it was very disorienting for me because I couldn't tell what things actually looked like. Um, and, and as I began to think about that, I, I really began to think that what the prophet is trying to say to the nation of Israel is that all of these practices of worship, these false uh, oaths, these false testimony against one another, uh, these worship, using the altars that you had built in a time of abundance for worshiping a false god, they have done something to you. And what they've done is they've given you a distorted pair of glasses so that all of a sudden it becomes very, very difficult to distinguish what is the way of the one true God and what is the way of the false God that I've been worshiping and and, and, and the prophet just simply wants to say, let's clarify our vision. Let's ask God to do something in our lives so that we can begin to see the world as God sees the world. 
So that, we can not, so that we can no longer have the goodness of God, the truth of God, the justice of God, the character of God distorted, but rather we could see it more and more in, with, with, with clarity. And man, I, just, I, I pray that we would be set free from thinking that justice is the same as vengeance. And that God would help us to know and to understand what justice looks like. Because we live in a world that is so, so broken. And those lines become so gray and no longer black and white. And so in light of Hosea's message to Israel, I want to send this message and call the church to discern God's justice. And to ask God to clear our vision of what his justice looks like. And I want us to broaden our understanding of justice, too. That justice is not just in relation to uh, justice systems or systems of justice like law enforcement and how that's handled. But, but rather, I want us to understand that, that there are injustices in the world uh, that don't have anything to do uh, with criminals, but rather systems of sin uh, in how... Um, how things are handled, how wealth is distributed, how food is distributed, how, how clothes are made, right? Uh, so, so every morning I try to pray the prayer of confession. Uh, and I do that not because I don't believe in, in victory in Christ, not because I don't uh, believe that, that God you know, on, the, on the cross of Jesus Christ has made me pure as I offer up my faith to him and give my allegiance to him, but rather because I recognize that there are systems of sin in the world that I can't so easily exempt myself from. Which means, for example, you, you may not have thought about how the shirt on your back was made. And the reality is, is that there is a good chance that the shirt on your back is a, is, is a sign and a, a tangible reality of systems of sin in our world. And so all I'm doing, so I don't want you to understand justice so narrowly as we might understand it, first of all. But I rather want to expand our understanding of justice and say that there are systems of sin and realities of injustice. That man, maybe God would just kind of clarify that. Maybe the distortion would go away and we'd begin to get clear vision of what, how God sees the world through his love. And then begin to just say, oh God, would you help us and would you have mercy on us? Because trying to make my own clothes and source the thread locally would be very difficult, right? And so there are systems of sin that we can't so easily exempt ourselves from. And so can we just, can we just pray for God to clarify that? Can we ask God for his mercy? And can we just say, God, more than anything, I want to know your justice and I want to know what it looks like. In the midst of all the difficulty and gray areas of life. And then as God is faithful to clarify those things, then we are called to work for that justice, to participate with him in bringing it about and give ourselves fully to him. Before we come to the Lord's table today, I want to invite us to pray a prayer together. Now, as you know, we typically pray prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, but uh, this week I, I came across a, a prayer for justice uh, from the United Church of Christ that I think is just beautiful. 
and fits so well with, with what we're talking about today. And so I want to invite us uh, to pray it together. Do we have that prayer in the back? Do we have it ready? Uh, oh, there, I'm looking at this screen, and, and this screen has not been on all morning. Uh, and the reason is because there's no projector. <laughs> it's very difficult to display an image when a projector isn't there. Uh, so anyway, we had a projector. Pray for our projector, uh, if you would. That would be great. And, and thank you, everybody, on this side of the room for um, peering all the way over. Uh, but but let's, let's pray this prayer uh, today together. Uh, grant us, Lord God, a vision of your world as your love would have it. A world where the weak are protected and none go hungry or poor. A world where the riches of creation are shared and everyone can enjoy them. A world where different races and cultures live in harmony and mutual respect. A world where peace is built with justice and justice is guided by love. Give us the inspiration and courage to build it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table today, I believe that we come to the table to celebrate that it is in fact the justice of God that has made it possible for us to be made one with him who took our sin and was raised to new life. I want to say that again so that it sinks in. It is in fact the justice of God that has made it possible for sinners like you and I to be one with him who took on our sin and was raised to new life.